Three tomatoes are walking down the street. Papa tomato, mama tomato, and baby tomato. Baby tomato starts lagging behind, and Papa tomato gets really angry. He goes back and squishes him and says, Ketchup. What's poppin' y'all? Welcome to Post Finale. I am your host, Ankit Madeira. I'm an actor and a musician who hasn't seen a lot of films, so to keep my friends happy and potentially provide a new perspective on some popular films, I am on a quest to change that. However, I am not on this quest alone. This week, I am once again joined by Jeremy Mulali, who is the host of the Odyssey podcast, where they explore lives and journeys of other people. He's also the founder of Ithaca Media Film and Video Production. It's a company down in Perth, Australia, and he is also a film director. Jeremy, how's it going? How are you doing? Really good, thanks. Uh, your, your intro makes me sound pretty impressive, so I don't think I need to spend more time with you. It's quite enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm enjoying the time that I'm getting to spend with you, and you know, things have been really good in the 10 minutes since we hit stop recording on the last episode, refilled our waters, and then hit start recording on this one so <laughs> it's good we're getting into it it's fine. <laughs> we're getting into it we we continue see the listeners have had to wait a week to you know jump back into pulp fiction with us however we have had to wait a whole 10 minutes so why don't we jump straight into it because we have a lot to talk about on this episode and some very juicy bits to talk about in this episode so where we last left off in the story, Mia has just come downstairs and her and Vincent are off on this date that is not a date. It is Vincent taking his boss's wife out to keep her company so she doesn't feel lonely when his boss is out of town. That's Vincent's mindset going into this. We'll see how he does. Don't have high hopes. So... They end up at Jackrabbit Slims, and Mia says that, you know, any Elvis man would love this, and you can get a steak here. Vincent wants to go get a steak, and she's like, you know what, just get one here, it's fine. So, Mia says, get a steak here, and don't be a... And then she draws a square, because she's trying to say don't be a square, but I have an issue with this, as I have an issue with most things. She drew a rectangle! <laughs> Now look, uh, you know, all those are rectangles, but not all rectangles are square. That's the problem. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right. And don't get me wrong. For the longest time, I heard this growing up and I just never understood it. I finally think I got it sometime in high school. But like, yeah, not all rectangles are squares. So if you're going to call someone a square, either just call them a square or if you want to draw it out, draw a square. I don't know. It, 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 made me, it made me just question, like, why are we trusting Mia here? Slightly out of the film at that point. Your mind was gone. <laughs> My mind was gone. I, I was taken out. I was like, I don't trust this girl. Like, you know, I feel like she's going to try to get Vincent into trouble. And I like Vincent. I don't want him to get into trouble. 
you know, she she already lied, as we discussed at the end of the last episode. She wasn't getting dressed. She was creepily watching Vincent through the intercom security system. She wasn't getting dressed like the note said. And now she's drawing rectangles instead of squares. Like, I don't know where her mind's at, but it's definitely not here. I feel like the cocaine might be affecting it. <laughs> Probably most likely. <laughs> Probably. Um, I have heard that cocaine does that to people. So, anyway, we get inside Rabbit Slims. Uh, I'm sorry, Jack Rabbit Slims. We get inside and there's some music. There's toy cars that you can race. That took me back to childhood. I loved racing those little, like, toy cars where, like, you would set up the track and, like, you had, like, the little, like, buttons and based like on how control. hard you press it. Yeah. Yeah, that was so much fun. And then, like, you would go too fast around one corner and your car would go flying off. And then you would also take, like, your friend's car off as well. And so, like, the third yeah. friend who wasn't winning ends up winning the race. Like, great, great fun. You also have a lot of posters. And I thought it was an Elvis impersonator. Turns out it was just a singer named Ricky. But the place is absolutely packed with people. They get a special table that is inside a Chrysler, which is pretty much a car that has a table in it. Vincent calls this place a wax museum with a pulse. I feel like he's kind of right. Oh, yeah, it's a complete relic. The place is kind of weird. Relic, yeah. And, and I don't know, I, I kind of like it, and I, I, I wonder if there's, there's an element of, again, reference to Greece, because, you know, Greece, the film is set. In the 50s, like the same era, like 50s, 60s, that, that this restaurant is meant to be themed as. So I wonder if, if, you know, it's a bit of like a meta kind of joke for like, you know, us watching this. It's like Travolta in this setting. I don't know. I don't know. It's just something I, I kind of you sort of wonder if that's what they were going for. But It's possible. I mean, I can see it. I mean, like I said, I haven't seen Greece, but I do know that. There's the iconic scene at the end with Travolta and the actress whose name I'm blanking on, but, like, they drive away in a car, I think. Yeah, I do. It's a very corny, yet somehow perfect ending for Grace like it. it's uh, Yeah, it's, it's... It's one of those where if it's any other film, you're like, why? It's one of those things that you forget, and then when you say it, you're like, oh, yeah, that happened. That's right. <laughs> 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 Fair enough. Well, so they're in this Chrysler car table situation. Also, what's wild about this is like the door opens and shuts. So, like, you are tr literally trapped in this car. And, like, if you want to, like, get up and go to the bathroom, like, you have to open the door of the car to get out of your table. They're going for authenticity, I suppose. <laughs> I, it, it, I appreciate it. It's, it's different. It looked like a fun place. I gotta say, it, it looked like a fun place, but I was, I was confused. <laughs> so Vincent orders a steak. Now, the waiter says that the steak options are burned to a crisp or bloody as hell. Now, I don't eat steak, but I'm pretty sure those aren't the normal options for how to get a steak cooked. Right, yeah, you, you'd ideally want something in between that as a... Okay. As a steak eater, myself, I, uh, that's how I like it, anyway. So, which do you prefer, burned as a crisp or bloody as hell? 
if if I if I were given those two options, I would go on the bloodier side. Okay, well that's what that's what Vincent did as well. So yeah, I mean none of this means yeah. anything to me. I have no idea. I've never eaten a steak. <laughs> I never plan on eating a steak. So <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Like, but I mean I've been to restaurants with people, so I know that that isn't normally how it's cooked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mia gets a burger and a five dollar shake. And I love that Vincent is fascinated, and he's like, hold on, it's just milk and ice cream, like, there's no bourbon, there's nothing else in it. The waiter's like, no, and it's just, like, a $5 shake. And I was thinking to myself, and I'm like, that's actually not that bad. And then I reminded myself, this came out in the early 90s, $5 shake is probably a lot. <laughs> and that, again, like, adjusting for inflation, I think that's, you know, upwards of, like, $10, I think. Let's find out. Okay, so according to some website that I just found and it says inflation calendar, I don't know. Quick search, a dollar in 1994 is about $2.05 today. So yeah, a yes, $5, $5 shake is about a $10 shake. Would you pay $10 for a milkshake? I certainly wouldn't. I don't feel like it's worth it. Yeah, I'd make a milkshake. Milkshakes are good. Milkshakes are good. But I don't feel like they're $10 good. Mm, I agree. I agree. Maybe like 5 to 8 potentially. Depending on where you are. And depending on the type of establishment and what's going into the shake. I feel like between 5 and $8 is a fair price for a milkshake. Yeah. Yeah. If I saw a shake for $10... I probably wouldn't get it. I'd just be like, I'm good with water or, like, get me a vanilla Coke as Vincent ordered, which, why? Like, just get a regular Coke? I don't know. So, Vincent then gives Mia a cigarette that he had just rolled. I do know this from living in Europe. People seem to prefer rolled cigarettes to pre-rolls. I don't know if this is a common thing down in Australia or anything, but, like, just from witnessing and watching people, like... Yeah, I, I yeah, like, I mean, from my experience, for people who do roll, it's usually because they smoke a lot, and it's a lot cheaper to roll your own cigarettes. So, yeah. I don't know if, I mean, I'm sure Travolta in this film has the money, you know, being a mobster hitman, you know, so I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Unless he's lacing it with something else. He might be lacing with something else. That's probably... Sure. I also chalked it up to, you know, he was in... You know, we learn as he's doing this that he was in Amsterdam for three years. So it's probably just something that he picked up while he was in Amsterdam, maybe. And he just kept doing it, you know. Which, fair enough. I, here in London, I see a lot of people roll rather than pre-rolls. It's more common for people to roll. So, I don't know. So, Mia says she goes to Amsterdam about once a year to chill for about a month. What a life that would be. Just being able to escape for a month and just be like, I'm going to go chill in Amsterdam for a month. Like, and we all know what that means. Oh, everyone knows what that means. Um, <laughs> if you don't, everything's legal in Amsterdam. Let's put it that way. And <laughs> that's the end of that discussion. So... <laughs> 
Mia reveals that the pilot that she did was her 15 minutes of fame. We find out that it was about a team of female secret agents called the Fox Force 5. Fox because they were foxy chicks. Force as in force to be reckoned with. And five because there were five of them. You had the blonde who was the leader. You had the Japanese girl who was the kung fu master. You had the black girl who was the demolition expert. You had the French girl whose speciality was sex. And then Mia's speciality was knives. Okay. I'm not really sure. See, I can see how the blonde girl has a part. I can see how the Japanese girl might have a part. I get how the black girl might have a part. I get why Mia might have a part. Why is the French girl needed in this show? I don't know. Well, to specialize in, in sex, clearly. That's... Apparently, but like, I don't really know how that yeah. helps in fighting crime. Like Charlie's Angels. Oh, I was thinking more along the, you know, the espionage angle. You know, how you use your uh, sexual prowess to... Sure, to... she uses her sexual prowess to lure people. Yeah, lure and trap people and to, um, you know, you obtain sensitive information. From the Fair enemy. enough. Okay, you've convinced me. The French girl is needed as well. That was my, that's, my, that's my read on it, yeah. You know what? Why not? There we go. We... We now understand, at least I understand, you understood before, of why she was important. So, we learn that the character that Mia played was named Raven McCoy. And she was raised by circus performers. And her background was that she was the deadliest woman in the world with a knife and knew a zillion old jokes. And if it got picked up, the gimmick would be that every episode, she would have told another joke. And then the joke that I wrote was one joke per episode. I can see why it didn't get picked up. <laughs> I don't claim to have good jokes, but. <laughs> <laughs> so Vincent asks for the joke and Mia says, no way. It's way too corny. Vincent promises that he will not laugh. And Mia's like, yeah, that's what I'm afraid of. Great. Amazing writing right there. I, I laughed out loud. It was beautiful. <laughs> so, you have the drinks arrive. Vincent asks if he can have a sip because he needs to know what a $5 shake tastes like. And, you know, he takes a sip and he has probably the same reaction that I think that I would have if I had a $10 shake in current day. Is it was good, but I don't know if it was worth $5. We're on the same page. We're on the same page with Vincent. We're, we're on the same page. We're vibing right now. Like, you know. Yeah. yeah. All of us, all of us are just, you know, understanding like, look, it, it, I've never had a bad milkshake. I've had overpriced milkshakes, but I've never had a bad one. Yeah, agreed. Just like Tarantino films. You can't have a bad milkshake. <laughs> yeah, you can't have a bad Tarantino <laughs> film. You might have undervalued Tarantino films, but you can't have a bad one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there is some very intense eye contact happening from Mia as she proceeds to continue drinking this shake. Again, I'm not getting good feelings about her. I feel like she's going to try to do something and mess things up for Vincent. And I like Vincent. I want nothing to happen oh, to yeah. this pure human being. Well, okay. Yeah. 
Oh, I choose a predator. Yeah. Sure. Okay. It, it, Vincent's not pure, but like me is the bad guy here, in my opinion. Oh no! <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. Oh, you know, like like putting aside any kind of like moral judgment, she's definitely pulling him in. That that's. And she knows that like she's not gonna get in trouble, right? Yeah. Yeah, and she knows. Yeah, she knows that, and she knows that he will. Yeah, <laughs> he certainly will. Yeah, I. So Mia then asks Vincent, you know, hey, do you hate these uncomfortable silences? And then Mia does say that, you know, you know that you found someone special when you can share a silence with them, and it's not uncomfortable. And I thought that was just a beautiful little line there, where you know, yeah, I that might be true i don't fully know but i think if you're able to just hang out like i have that with my friends some of them it's like you know we can just be in the same room and just be like both doing different things but we're just hanging out and like just sitting there minding our own businesses like you know and it's something that you don't always feel with people and it's nice when you do get that feeling yeah i I tend to agree you know it's it's a sign of yeah com- comfortability with with other people and I, I think sometimes we can be too quick to talk without actually saying anything which we i think we'd be a little bit better off sometimes to get rid of that fair enough so vincent says he retorts with the beautiful line going i don't think we're there yet but don't feel bad we just met each other perfect no notes so mia's like all right i'm gonna go to the bathroom tells Vincent to sit there and think of something to say. Again, kind of like you said, that predator kind of feeling is just humming in and it just is is still there. it, It makes me uncomfortable for what I think is about to come, which is, I wrote down, I think Mia is going to make a move on Vincent and Vincent's going to pull away, but then she's just gonna kind of keep going for it. And the reason that I think Vincent's going to pull away is because of his mindset going into this, of this is just my boss's wife, I'm just taking her out to keep her company kind of deal. Like, I'm not here to do anything, like, literally just keep her company because that's what I was told to do. Yeah, yeah. And I believe her exact line when she leaves the table is something, I'm just going to powder my nose. Yeah. <laughs> it's like hard cut to her. <laughs> is that right? My- no, no, no. She my- says, I'm going to go powder my nose. Hard cut to her in the bathroom doing more lines of coke. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, not not pure hard cut because she does walk away and you see the Marilyn Monroe waitress recreating that iconic Marilyn Monroe white dress moment. Oh yeah. And then right. hard cut yeah. to Mia doing more lines of coke in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. How high is this woman right now? Like. Cricket. We saw her do like what two or three lines before she left the house. I'm presuming she probably did like another two or three lines just now. She's smoking as well. Like she must be off her rocker. Oh yeah. But look, uh, like from my heard it from friends, the hit from cocaine is is as much as it's pretty intense. It's pretty short lived, I think. So like you can sort of like twenty minutes, thirty minutes over. No, like it's more or less over. So that's why I like yeah. She's probably taking more and more in the. In the bathroom. That's why people continuously just keep doing it. It's why cokeheads basically live in the bathroom. Like, sorry, cokeheads is derogatory. I don't. I mean, anyone can. Anyone, yeah, but drugs. I don't mind. But um, it's yeah, yeah. But it's, that's why I spend so much time in the bathroom because you need to keep popping up the tank. Okay. Good. 
Good to know. The the things you learn when you record a podcast. <laughs> it's like we've only met through this podcast and all that. Anyone who knows me listening to this will be like, it's just so bizarre me talking about <laughs> drugs with any kind of authority. You know? <laughs> I love this. I can't wait for anyone who knows Jeremy in real life to just be like, so I, I, I could just imagine someone that you work with coming in just being like, um, so I heard your, that episode. Um, why do you know so much about drugs, Jeremy? <laughs> yeah, it's, more, it's more the sense of like, it's, 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 it's there's a complete disparity between anyone who knows me personally and the fact that I, I could with any authority talk on drugs like is, <laughs> is laughable. It's just completely laughable. Wonderful. Well, yeah. here we are. Hey, you have, you have wild <laughs> conversations from time to time. It happens. <laughs> so Mia returns from the bathroom and she returns to one thing about the bathroom that I did appreciate real quick before she gets back to the car table thing. The bathroom was just the window or the mirror because our view of it was like all the women were looking into the mirror. I appreciated that it was packed because whenever I'm at a restaurant or like the mall or anything, you always see a massive line for the women's restroom. So I like that that narrative was still there of like everyone's just there. Yeah. <laughs> it was just, yeah. a, just a fun like three second little thing of like, <laughs> like I see that in day to day life. <laughs> yeah. So, she returns to the table. The food is waiting for her. Vincent says that they're lucky that they even got food. He doesn't think that Buddy Holly is much of a waiter and that they would have been better off in the Marilyn Monroe section. Mia says that there are two Marilyn Monroe, so which one do you mean? And Vincent's like, no, 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 no. There is one Marilyn Monroe. The other is Mamie Van Doren. And he doesn't see Jane Mansfield today, so she might have the day off. I know who Marilyn Monroe is. Do you know who Mamie Van Doren and Jane Mansfield are? Yeah, I only mean, I, I know Buddy Holly. Okay. And I know Marilyn Monroe. I don't know the others. Let's see. Let's you know we have the we have the beautifulness of the internet. Mamie Van Doren. At our fingertips. She was an American actress. Apparently very famous for a bunch of movies in what looks like the 50s and 60s. Sure. I've not seen any of these films. I, don't... I haven't seen any of them. Put... The ones oh. that are popping up on a quick search are Untamed Youth, Three Nuts in Search of a Bolt, and Sex Kittens Go to College. Those are the first three ones that pop up for me, at least. Yeah, yeah I've never heard of her. And then, who was the other one? Jane Mansfield? Also an American actress, who was also, it looks like, prominent in about the same time frame, 50s and 60s. The first three films that pop up, at least on my search, is Promises, Promises, The Sheriff of Fractured Jaw, and The Girl Can't Help It. Never heard of any of these either. Yeah. No. <laughs> Me neither. I guess... Probably some obscure films from the period. Look, they didn't sing Happy Birthday to John F. Kennedy. They aren't as well known as Marilyn Monroe. That's all there is to it. Like, you don't sing Happy Birthday to the president, you don't get that level of fame. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the history books don't rub me the same way, unfortunately. So. <laughs> I don't know. I'm very sorry to anyone who thinks that Mamie Van Doren and Jane Mansfield may be, like, amazing actresses. I'm sure that they were very good in their own right. I've just never heard of them. <laughs> 
Oh, look, what, what if what if your what if one of the listeners right now is probably like that one of the grandchildren? Like, oh, yeah, they, they again disrespect my grandmother like this. <laughs> <laughs> look, I'm making a joke. If if you are one of her grandchildren, hi, hello, thank you for listening. And also, yeah, I just haven't heard of her, but. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, no, by, 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 by deepest respect to the Mansfield family and the, <laughs> and the Van Doren families as well. You know, I'm, I'm sure you're lovely people. <laughs> so, yeah. Mia asks Vincent if he has thought of something to say. Vincent says he did, but however, he doesn't want to say anything because he doesn't want to offend Mia. And Mia says that, oh, then this is, you know, not just the normal boring to get to know you chit chat. Vincent actually has something to say. Vincent says that he will say it, but Mia has to promise not to be offended. And Mia responds in a very, I don't know how to, so Mia responds in a very, like, literal way, which I think makes a lot of sense, where she's like, look, I can't promise you that because... Whatever you ask me, if my natural response is to get offended, then no fault of my own, I'm going to end up breaking your promise. Which is a very mature way of responding to that, of like, I can't promise you that. But also, at the same time, I'm like, have some self-control and don't get offended. Like, you know, but I didn't hate the way that she answered it. But at the same time, I'm like, just let him ask you the question. So Vincent finally just agrees. Yeah. He says, okay, fine. And then he says, he asks, what do you think happened with Antoine? Mia tries to play it off like she doesn't know who Antoine is. And Vincent's like, no, no, no. Like, I know you know who this is. Don't try to act like you don't. And Mia says he fell out of a window. Vincent then hits her with this. That's one way to say it. Another way is to say that he was thrown out. Another way is that he was thrown out by Marcellus. And another way is that he was thrown out by Marcellus because of you. I like that Vincent just gets straight to the point. I appreciate it. Unlike us, we go on every which way tangent possible, but um, he's just getting to the point. <laughs> it's like a leash out of Vincent's book, yeah, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, take, a, take a page out of Vincent's book. So... Vincent says that isn't a fact, but, you know, none of, none of what he just said is factual. He doesn't know. But it's just what he heard from they, the people who speak of this. And Mia asks what else they said. Vincent reveals that he heard that Antoine gave her a foot massage and that it seemed reasonable when he heard it. And Mia asks how Marcellus throwing him out of a four-story window for a foot massage seems reasonable. Fair question. Vincent says it isn't, and that it seems excessive, but that doesn't mean that it isn't true. Marcellus is protective. And everything that we've heard about Marcellus so far, and the little bit that we have seen, he does seem like a protective person. Like, he's a mob boss. Like, or at least that's what I think he is at this point, is a mob boss. So, yeah, he's gonna be protective. Mia says, a man being protective of his wife is one thing. Killing a man over touching her feet is another. Only thing Antoine ever touched was Mia's hand, and that's when he shook it at her wedding. And that the truth is that no one but Marcellus and Antoine knows what truly happened and why Marcellus threw Antoine out the window. Fair enough. 
I don't know if what she is saying is true. I don't think it's true. I am still on the side of thinking that he did give her a foot massage and that's why he got thrown out the window. But the way that she said it, maybe that is the truth. I have no idea. Do you have anything to add on that? She's pretty, pretty, she's pretty convincing too. Like I, I, I tend to agree, and I, I think what she says afterwards kind of, you know, sprinkles in, you know, like you guys gossip, like you, you know, old wives, something to that effect. I can't remember the exact line. Yeah. She, like she said, when you guys get together, and and I tend to agree with that. Like, not that I'm, I know, you know, mobsters or anything like that, but I think there is like, I think, I think men. And be as gossipy as women when they're in a a tight group like that, and they've got no one else to talk to but themselves. They they can concoct all sorts of theories based on very little information, you know. So it's I, I could be I could be convinced other way, but I I think that it could have been mythologized. I can see both things being true. Yeah, just. How Mia has come across so far makes me think that there was something more to it than just this. And maybe it was the foot massage did happen, but that wasn't the actual cause of what made Marcellus throw Antoine out the window. (laughs) But just the way that we have seen Mia kind of be this predator figure of sorts like she hasn't actually done anything but just the energy that she's given off right um she hasn't actually done anything but the energy that she's given off makes me think that there may have been something between her and Antoine that happened that maybe sparked Marcellus to maybe just go talk to Antoine and then maybe in that conversation something happened and then that's what happened there so like I can see both ways of it playing out and I agree with what you said I think a lot of times people are like, hey, women gossip all the time. I don't think they realize how much, like, men do sometimes gossip, but, like, it's just comparatively, and I say this with air quotes even though nobody can see me other than you. Um, <laughs> so comparatively, in, in quotes, that women gossip more than men, but also that might be media kind of telling us that women gossip more than men. That's but like everyone gossips, like that's just the state of life. So yeah, and and uh, I think the the point I was trying to make as well, like is like in the context of these men, in the sense that like it's basically like a boys' club. You know what I mean? Like they they you know they're mobsters, but if you strip it back, like that's what it's like. And we and you like we both know what it's like to experience that, whether or not we've been in like quite unquote boys' clubs ourselves. Exactly. I certainly know what it's like. I, I, I've seen it. I've experienced it firsthand. Like, and, there's gossip everywhere. Uh, yeah, there's gossip. <laughs> there's gossip just like this. So that, that's what made me believe for a second. And again, like I totally hear where you're coming from. Like it's based on how she's behaving as well. She might just be saying that and brushing it off aside, where it's like yeah, and we just we just don't know, that. and that's okay. Sorry. Not knowing is okay. Um. So, yeah. but. As this conversation finishes, we find out that it is time for the Jackrabbit Slims Twist Contest, where one lucky couple will win a fancy trophy. Mia says that they will be first. Vincent's like, uh, no. And then Mia retorts with, I believe Marcellus, my husband, your boss, 
told you to take me out and do whatever I wanted. I want to dance, I want to win, I want that trophy. Yeah, that's a pretty good trump card that Mia's got right there. I don't have a good feeling about it, but Vincent's kind of in a pickle. He's like, well, if I don't dance with you, then I'm screwed. And if I dance with you, then I am potentially screwed. So I'm going to go with the potential rather than the guaranteed. <laughs> I was excited because I was like, because what I know about John Travolta is that, you know, dancing and musicals. So I was like, let's go. Like, we're going to see John Travolta do some dance. Like, this is going to be fun. They take off their shoes. They get ready to dance. They start doing the twist. And it starts out really simple, and then they do, like, the swim dance move and, like, the hands in front of the face dance move of, like, I can't see you or whatever. I'm not gonna lie, I had higher hopes for this dance. It wasn't a bad dance, I just had higher hopes for this dance. It fit the vibe of the movie. I just wanted more. <laughs> it's a saying that, if you think of Pulp Fiction, you think of that saying. That's, that's all I can say, and... It's just such an, well, I keep saying iconic and when we're talking about Pulp Fiction, but this, that's the iconic part of this film for me. And again, like, there's that certain sense of, like, I'm also viewing it in the, in relation to, it's, it, this is John Travolta's comeback film. And yeah, you're totally right. Like, John Travolta, like, dancer. Like, that's, that's, like, you know, you think Saturday Night Fever. And of course, like, nowhere near the level of, like, the dance scenes in, in that. But still, it's like this sort of like built up energy yeah. to that, which I think for me carries it over as like a very much. Yeah, like, no, I, I agree. It was a <laughs> fantastic scene between both of the actors. Um, and I think the build up to then go do this dance and the dance was good, honestly. Like it was fun and it was. The type of dance that you would expect in this movie, like, it didn't at any point take me out of the film. I think if it was more extravagant, it probably would have taken me out of the film. <laughs> I would have been like, that's not how he would dance. But I have also seen, like, gifs of John Travolta doing the little twist before of, like, just that little section of it. Of him just doing, like, his little twist and his little dance thing. Yep. You don't see it as much as... The other meme, but, like, I've seen that little bit, too. So, like, yeah, it, it worked really well. But then the scene just fades to black. And I was like, did they win? I need answers. I want to know if they won. Turns out they won. Because we then get right back to the house. They have won. They have the trophy. And they're still dancing. They're still having fun. You know, they had a fun night out just as friends. And that was it. Mia says... More drinks, more music, and Vincent's like, all right, fine, like, I'm gonna go take a piss, I'll be back in a minute. Mia starts to dance to Urge Overkill's Girls, You'll Be a Woman Soon. And then Vincent is in the bathroom telling himself, okay, look, one drink, don't be rude, drink it quickly, say goodnight, go home. And I like that he's giving himself this pep talk. Like, I still like Vincent in the sense that he's like, okay, like, don't be rude, but also don't get yourself into a bad situation. Like... You've made it this far in the night. You can ha still have a good night. But, like, go home. Like, just go home. Um, and Vincent's, like, you know, telling himself this is one of those moral tests. Like, you can be loyal or you cannot. And you should be loyal. Mia starts smoking a cigarette. And she gets onto the couch. And she's playing with the lighter. And she pulls out a bag. And was the bag in Vincent's coat pocket? Yeah, it's Vincent's bag. So she pulls out Vincent's bag of cocaine. 
and Vincent's in the bathroom, and he's still just, you know, telling himself, all right, go out, say goodbye, you know, I had a lovely evening, go home, jerk off, and that's all there is to it, like, it's okay, like, you know, don't do anything stupid. I still love that he's given himself this pep talk, he's just like, it's okay, like, you had a good night, like, don't do anything dumb. And I appreciate that, I appreciate that he's just being like, don't be an idiot, like, just, just go home, like, you know, don't let yourself fall into a bad situation. Mia does more lines, because as we discussed about drugs, apparently that's how cocaine works, and you just keep doing more, I guess. Uh, sure. Um, she does more lines, and suddenly there is blood coming out from her nose, and she starts to faint. Vincent comes out of the bathroom, and he says that he has to go, and he sees Mia on the floor. There is blood running from her nose, and it looks like some type of foam, white substance is coming out of her mouth. And I was like, oh, she's either already dead or she's overdosing. And I think not knowing which one of those two it is, is the perfect time to break for an intermission real quick. So we're going to hear about some fun little things that may be happening in the world. And then we'll come back and figure out what's going on with Mia. Hello everyone, welcome to The Intermission. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and I hope you're enjoying it so far. If you would like to gain access to some more bonus content and help out the show, you can do so by going over to patreon.com slash postfinale. You get access to loads of bonus content, and you will also be helping the show, and any money made from the Patreon will go straight back into the show as well. And if you cannot support on Patreon, that is completely fine. Just I hope that you keep tuning in to future episodes. And I'm very glad that you joined on this episode. And if you still want to help out the podcast, you can do so. Follow us on social media at PostFinalePod on all the social media apps. And you can also share this podcast with a friend or leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, whatever podcasting app you are using. Now, usually this is where the intermission will end, but I have a special announcement for anyone that is listening in the London area. I will be taking part in a queer cabaret on the 11th of June at the Bread and Roses Theatre in Clapham. Now, it's going to be a very fun night with lots of singing, dancing, drag, musicians, tons of different things. I myself am going to be doing a few bits and bobs around the show, and all of this is in aid of the LGBTQ plus charity Mermaids who do some amazing work. So I hope you all are able to come out. You can get tickets using the link in the description for this episode. And I hope you all can make it if you're around. And if not, if you could share it, it would be wonderful if you know anyone that's in London. But yeah, that Queer Cabaret is happening on the 11th of June and you can get tickets using the link in the description for this episode. And I'll also have it on the social medias as well. But thank you all very much, and thank you for tuning into this episode, and let us get back in to Pulp Fiction. Wonderful. So, as we just left off, Vincent has just grabbed Mia, he has picked her up, and he gets her into the car, and he is driving as fast as he can. And he calls his hippie friend, who we never learnt his name earlier, did we? I don't believe we did, but it's Lance, I think. Yeah, we learn it. We learn it just now. He's just he's just he's watching a movie, 
and just eating some cereal as you do at one thirty in the morning as we learned that it is, you know, I sometimes you want a bowl of cereal at one thirty in the morning. Can't blame the guy. Um so we learned his name is Lance. Lance finally answers the phone after he lets it ring for a while. And on the phone, Vincent tells him that he's bringing Mia over, and she's OD'd, and he's coming over to his house. Lance says, no, don't bring a fucked up poobah, not bear, specifically poobah, to my house. Lance says, take her to the hospital and call a lawyer. Vince says, that's not a possibility. I'm confused on why that's not a possibility. Yeah, see, uh, my read on that is the fact that it's a- a- any kind of record would go back to Marcellus and he would die. Like, he would just get killed. That, I think, because that's ultimately what he's afraid of. Like, and I mean, we could get into it, but like, actually, you know, we can't, we can't necessarily get into it. I have to wait till the full kind of picture probably, but, but like, I, I think, I think Vincent is purely like self-interested at this point. He, like, he, he couldn't care less if she dies or not. Sure, he's just trying to save his own skin. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. Like, in, in fact, like, everything is couched. He's like, in the fact that he's like, if she dies, I'm dead, you're dead. You, you know, it's your drugs, blah, blah, blah. So it's all couched in that. Sure. Sorry, I think I jumped but the gun here's... just a little bit by a couple of seconds. No, you're fine. You're fine. Don't worry about it. My thought process of like, why wouldn't you just take her to the hospital? Because sure, even if even if it gets back to Marcellus, it's like, yeah, like we were out. Marcellus probably knows that Mia does cocaine and all of this, right? And it's like, hey, she had a little too much, right? Of whatever. Or, you know, I, I don't fully know. Maybe it's like because whatever she was having earlier. And then because this is a new one, like it didn't agree with her body. I don't, I don't fully know how it all no, works. No, no, So that that's why it's super important because it's the fact it's not because it wasn't cocaine. It was cocaine and heroin. So that's like, and you can't, you can't snort people. It's super dangerous. So like that's why she didn't know. She just thought, oh, here's some more cocaine. So that's why it's super. Like that's why. Oh. That whole scene before when he's actually buying it is super important because like that's why we need to know. So if we, if we didn't know that, yeah, it's like cocaine. You, you're, like I think you'd, I think you'd still be wrong in the sense that if even if it was cocaine, and you took it to the hospital to save a life or whatever, I still feel like what we know about Marcellus, he would still be pretty ruthless. Yeah, like I can see him being ruthless. But even more so because he's a fault. Sure, I didn't yeah. realize that what was in the bag was the mix. I thought that the mix was something that they did after so like i thought that in the bag it was just cocaine and then like he had the heroin on the side and then that like he mixed the two but not in the bag was the mix i don't don't know i but like the reason that i thought that he could just go to the hospital was like sure he fucked up fine but he also saved her life by rushing her to the hospital so why wouldn't, like, Marcellus might be like, look, you fucked up, like, you know, you, you messed up, you made, a, you made this mistake, there are prices to pay, but at the end of the day, you also saved my wife's life instead of just letting her be, I don't know. Yeah, I think the point is that we're thinking, like, he's a, he's a rational person, and, and, that, and now as we're talking about it, it just makes that whole story of throwing a guy out the window for a foot massage all the more important, because if... If he believes that's true. Then what he does makes complete sense. 
Yeah, totally. Yeah, like because like that that is light years more dangerous than a foot massage. <laughs> like it's yeah, they're not even in the same universe. So like yeah, if that's what Marcellus does to someone who has potentially given someone a foot massage, then like Marcellus isn't just gonna kill Vince and. He's going to torture him because he's going to want him to suffer. Yeah. So, yeah, no, like, it makes sense of why Vincent does what he's about to do. But, like, you know, I was like, yeah, why wouldn't this work? I don't know. But we find out. So Lance pretty much says that it's not his problem. You fucked her up. You deal with this. He hangs up the phone. (laughs) Literally two seconds later, Vincent pulls up, crashes into Lance's house. And Vincent explains, like you were saying, that it's Marcellus's wife. And that if they don't do something, then they are both in trouble. And Vincent's going to have to explain. And that if Lance doesn't help, he'll be forced to tell Marcellus that. And so Lance is like, all right, fine. Like, let's go. I made a prediction here that Mia will die. And this is what is going to set in motion the second half of the film. And I think that the second half of the film is going to be Vincent trying to run away from Marcellus in some way, shape or form. We'll get to it. <laughs> so they pick her up. They get her inside. Jody is obviously not very happy when she comes out and she sees them with Mia. They grab the adrenaline shot from the fridge and Lance is looking for his little black medical book because he needs to know how to give one of these shots because he's never had to do it before. Because as he says, all of my friends know how to get high. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. He's like, I have it just in case, but my friends aren't dumb. <laughs> they do this responsibly. <laughs> so Jody starts yelling at Lance and that he's not going to find the little book in this mess and that Mia's going to die on the carpet. Lance goes back into the living room and gets things prepared for the shot. They try to locate her heart. They find it and... Vince asks for a magic marker. I'm assuming it's just to, like, mark the spot so that they know where to stab. Because none of them are medical professionals. One is a drug addict. One, as far as I know, just loves piercings. And one is a mob boss or mobster of some sort. He doesn't seem like the boss. So, like, yeah. (laughs) Magic marker makes sense. So (laughs) Lance thinks that it's ready. And then Lance and Vince start arguing about who's going to give me the shot. I do appreciate this little argument back and forth of they're like, you give the shot. No, 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 you give the shot. Lance does end up winning the argument by saying, you brought her here. The day I bring someone ODing to your house, I'll give them the shot. (laughs) Vincent's not very good at winning (laughs) these small little tiffs and arguments, is he? (laughs) (laughs) he lost the dancing one to mia earlier he lost this one right now i can't wait to see what the next one that he loses is (laughs) i thought about it but now i'll think ahead i'm pretty sure there's more like that so it's interesting that's an interesting observation (laughs) yeah he's he's just he always seems like he doesn't win (laughs) poor guy needs a win and he's about to have one in a weird way so lance explains that they have to pierce the breastplate to stab her heart And so the needle has to go down in a stabbing motion. And Lance makes a stabbing motion three times. So Vincent's like, so I have to stab her three times. Mwah, perfection. Lance is like, no, not three times, you idiot. Just stab her once, just strong enough to pierce her breastplate. Once you pierce it, 
press down on the plunger. Vincent asks what happens. Lance isn't fully sure either. He's like, I've never had to give one. But he's like, all right, here we go on the count of three. They count to three in what feels like the longest count to three ever. In reality, I think it took like 10 seconds, which <laughs> is pretty normal if you're all freaking out. But it just felt like the longest count to three ever. <laughs> Vincent stabs Mia and she jumps awake. Everyone jumps back. And Lance tells Mia to say something if she's alright. And Mia responds with something. And Jody calls it fucking trippy. And that's the end of the scene. What a way to end it. Wild scene. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Complete deviation from what you would have expected. Yeah. Turns out my prediction that Mia's dead is wrong. But, you know, what else is new? I'm wrong about everything, apparently, when I watch a film. <laughs> so... <laughs> I'm still not sure what's happening in the plot of this film. Still don't know what the end game is. Currently, I think the only... It's gonna be there for the ride. That's all that matters. Uh, I'm, I'm enjoying the ride. I think currently the predictions that I have that are going well are Marcellus will die at the end of the film. That one is still on the table. And the guy and the girl from the beginning will somehow run into Jules and Vincent. That one is still on the table. Nothing else that I have predicted is on the table. <laughs> Everything else has been wrong. It was just a very well done scene. That entire scene right there, I think all the actors did a really good job of keeping the stakes high. And they always say, like in acting school, like, you know, you have to have high stakes. In almost every scene that you do, you need to have high stakes. You know, it's not always going to be there but what are your stakes and in this one the stakes are really clear and i think every single one of those actors that was in that scene that was doing things so everyone but mia pretty much because her job was be dead pretty much yeah, be on the verge. <laughs> was yeah <laughs> hi be a rag doll that's a, that, that's your job for this scene Everyone else did a great job of really playing those stakes. And, you know, you could see the fear in Vincent. You could see the fear in Lance. You could see Jody also, like, even though she didn't care as much necessarily, like, you could see that she was also worried. So, like, well done to everyone in that scene. I think that it was a great scene. Went in a completely different way than I thought that it was going. And, yeah. Yeah, and, and just on that, as far as, I mean, even what your, what your expectations were, this whole, the, how this scene would traditionally go, like, they're going home to have sex. Like, that's how, like, these scenes go. Like, that's how it's playing out. And then just to have this is just complete deviation. It's like... It's, complete uh, deviation, complete, yeah. and it's, you know, even if it's the... OD deviation, because you, you do see it from time to time in TV shows and films where people OD, but I don't remember one where it felt like the stakes were this high, where if we let this woman die, I die kind of deal. Yep, yep, and that's what it's being built up to. And that's what it's being built up to, and I, I, I think that it worked really well, and the deviation worked, and like we said, it you know, makes sense of why, in his mind, don't go to the hospital, even though it could have worked out, but I don't know, you know. But yeah, just a great scene. 
So, after this scene, Vincent drives Mia back home, and then he asks her, hey, how should we handle this? Mia asks Vincent the same thing, and Vincent says that Marcellus just doesn't need to know about this incident. Mia says that sounds good, and that, you know, she'd be in just as much trouble as Vincent. Vincent and I are on the same page. I highly doubt that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Not true. Not true. Mia, yeah. he's just going to be happy you're alive. Vincent, good luck. Yeah. But she does say, I can keep a secret if you can. They shake on this. Vincent excuses himself and he leaves. And Mia offers to tell him the joke from Fox Force 5 before he leaves. Now, real quick, before we get into this joke. Don't they have security cameras and monitors in the house that we saw Mia using earlier? So why can Marcellus not just look at that and know what happened? Yeah, that's that's a good point. I don't know what the technology was like back then as far as how long things are backed up for. It might be on a 72-hour cycle. Like, I know CCTV systems back in the day did not have, like, a big storage system. That's a, that's a great question. It's a great question. I don't know. That, that, that could be a massive plot hole. And it, like, how can he not figure that out? Even if she erased it, that raises even more eyebrows. <laughs> you know Exactly. I mean? like... If she erases the footage, then it's like, hey, why is there no footage from this time? Yeah, the and... day that she went out on a date with, with my, one of my employees. Yeah, <laughs> because he also knows when they were going out. Exactly, yeah. I, yeah, I don't have a good answer for that one, to be honest. I hadn't thought of that. If anyone out there listening has a good answer, but, like, yeah, why couldn't he just use those monitors? And, like, sure, maybe technically it wasn't recording, but if you're a mob boss, why would you have a security system where you can just creepily watch people from that room? And not have any of it be recorded. Yeah. That just seems like a bad security system at that point if you're a mob boss. Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah. But anyway, let's get into this joke. Because it is a doozy. So, the joke is... Three tomatoes are walking down the street. Papa tomato, mama tomato, and baby tomato. Baby tomato starts lagging behind. And Papa tomato gets really angry. He goes back and squishes him and says, Catch up. It took me a minute, and then she says, catch up again, and I was like, oh, I got it. Like, that's actually kind of funny. <laughs> and I started laughing, and I was like, you know what? That's not half bad of a joke. Like, I've definitely heard worse, and I've definitely made worse jokes. <laughs> but also, if this is the one joke you have per an episode, I can see why the pilot didn't get picked up. <laughs> Absolutely. And, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's a nice way to end this, this little sequence of, of the film. Like they set it up, you know, that, you know, like, I don't know if it's something that's talked about when you learn about acting, uh, it may, may or may not be, I've got no idea, but we call it like in writing and also in, in uh, films, we call it plant and payoff. So that you, you plant something and then it's left kind of hanging and you, you're not, not, not consciously thinking about it, but your subconscious wants to, have the payoff. It's like, what's that joke? What's that joke? What's that joke? And then we get it. Yeah. And that's it there. It's a really nice way to end this little chapter of the story. 
I yep. think. You get you get the nice payoff. It's quite fun. You get the silly bad joke. And after what we just went through with the overdosing sequence and everything, it's just a nice, silly, stupid joke to just alleviate the mood a little bit. Yeah. And yep. especially with going into the next scene that we'll, we're going to get into. But yeah, it... It was just that nice little, hey, we can breathe for a moment. Everything's okay, at least for the time being. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't have a ton of predictions necessarily of what's going on with this story because this this little portion feels like it's been wrapped up. I just feel like I've, you know... Probably something in this story will come back and play a role later on in the film because in the two Tarantino films I have seen, what I have appreciated is that the end of the film always takes pieces from every piece of the film that we have seen so far, at least to my understanding. So, like, everything kind of comes together at the end. So, not necessarily everything makes sense of how it's interchangeable and intermingled this one i think it makes a little more sense because you see i i still don't know how the people from the beginning of the film connect that very first scene still don't know how that guy and girl connect to everything but i think what might happen and this is me making a prediction on the fly is that potentially that guy and girl are gonna try to rob one of marcellus's places without realizing that it's a mob joint and that's what's going to cause all of these guys to get into it and i think butch isn't actually going to throw his fight i think he's gonna win the fight and not throw it is what i think is gonna happen but speaking of butch let's get into it because he's a bit of the next scene and this is the last little bit that we'll talk about here for this episode but so what we have, the next scene, we're watching cartoons. I'm not really sure what cartoon it is. But we're back with Butch. And Butch is a little kid. Butch's mom says that his dad died in a POW camp. And that Captain Coons is here. And he was in the POW camp with his dad. Now, Coons is played by Christopher Walken. I don't know if this is the only scene that he has in the film. But if it is the only scene, it is a powerful scene that I loved. And it is beautiful. And most of it is just Christopher Walken having a monologue. And he delivers it with perfection. But he's pretty much just telling a story. And so this is the story that we hear. So, Coons reveals that he was a good friend of Butch's dad. And that he was in the Hanoi Pit of Hell for five years with his dad and that coons has something for him he pulls out a watch that was originally bought by butch's grandfather during world war one at a little general store in knoxville tennessee side note knoxville tennessee fun little town i've been there a few times i grew up in louisville so it was right there because kentucky and tennessee are right next to each other so going to knoxville i think i've been like two or three times but yeah definitely been in knoxville a couple times but we learned that, you know, this watch was Butch's great-great-grandfather's war watch, and he wore it every day during the war. 
and his great-great-grandfather came back and then he put the watch away. Until Butch's grandfather got called to fight in World War II. Butch's great-great-grandfather gave his grandfather the watch for good luck, but the grandfather's luck wasn't as good, as he was killed in the Battle of Wake Island. Now, I don't know much about World War II, but I think this is one of the battles that happened in the Philippines area. There were a lot of naval battles that happened out there with the Japanese and the Americans. Yeah, I, I imagine probably one of the Pacific Islands. Yeah, it's one of the Pacific Islands that I think, because yeah. they mentioned that the grandfather was a Marine. Yeah. So I'm thinking that it's one of these Pacific Island battles, and they went back and forth, and I know that they were bloody, but they don't get talked about as much in history, and I think that that is a disservice to those people who fought in those battles and anything like that. Like, you hear about D-Day, you hear about all the battles that happened in Europe and fighting Germany and everything, but at least growing up in the States even, we learned significantly less about all of these Pacific Island battles that happened. And, you know, I'm sure that there are tons of YouTube videos on it, but, like, I wish, like, in school, like, we learned more about them just because that was also part of the war and it played a big part of the war. And people just don't talk about that. I feel like a lot of people just think that it was Germany versus the world, kind of, but that wasn't the case. Like, Japan was also heavily, heavily involved in World War II. Like, they say that the end was Hiroshima and Nagasaki for a reason. So, yeah, it's just not talked about as much. But, so he died in the Battle of Wake Island, but three days before the Japanese took the island... The grandfather met someone named Winoki, who was a man on some transporter, and he asked him to deliver his infant son, who he had never met, this gold watch. And Winoki kept his word. After the war finished, he went back, he found this man's wife and the infant son, and he gave them the watch. He delivered the gold watch to them. And this infant son was Butch's dad so the watch was on the dad's wrist when he was shot down over hanoi during the vietnam war and he was captured he knew that if the watch was found it would be confiscated and butch's dad believed that this watch was butch's birthright and that he'd be damned if anyone else got their greasy hands on it so he hid it in the only place possible he hid it up his ass and then he died of dysentery after five years living in this POW camp. And so, before he died, he gave the watch to Coons. And Coons then proceeded to hide it up his ass for another two years. And after a long seven years, he was finally sent home to his family. And now he's able to give this watch to Butch, as this watch is his birthright beautiful beautiful scene by christopher walken and it is solely christopher walken in this scene it's a solid like what four or five minute monologue almost i think so yeah yeah it's brilliant isn't it yeah and like i was so drawn into it that i was like i'm just gonna finish this monologue so i didn't pause 
I finished the whole monologue because I was so enamored by just this moment of him telling this kid this sad story. But also it was so nice that like Coons wasn't just his dad's best friend. Like he you could tell that he truly, truly cared about his father, Butch's dad. And it was like, hey, like this isn't just a watch from your dad. There is a lot of historical and family significance. So you need to know the backstory of all of this before I give this to you. You need to understand how important of an item this is. And, you know, obviously your dad wishes that he could give it to you, but he can't. And so I need to do that job of being able to give this to you. And I think he did a fantastic job. But yeah, I watched that whole scene and then went back and took the notes on it. Because I was just so enamored by Christopher Walken for these five minutes. Yeah, and there's a good reason for that. It's it's <laughs> extremely captivating. Yeah, extremely captivating. And I mean, he's also a phenomenal actor, so makes sense. And like, man knows what he's doing. So you see, little Butch, he goes to grab the watch, and immediate jump cut. As soon as he grabs the watch. You see Butch in present day, so Bruce Willis, you see him wake up very suddenly from a nap that he's taking in the back room of his boxing match. You know, he's getting ready. He hears the bell of the boxing match, so probably the match that just ended. He hears the little bell, and that's what wakes him up immediately from that nap. And he's sweating, and like, you know, he's he's in a state, and so we... I realized, like, oh, this is all a dream sequence. There's got to be some significance to this. And Butch is told that it is time to head out for his boxing match against Floyd Ray Wilson. And that's where we are going to end this episode. We will learn more about this wonderful little golden watch and what significance there is to that story next week but yeah jeremy is there anything that you want to add about this last little scene that you know was just beautiful to watch in my personal opinion yeah i i won't say much only because it's like all i can say is that like i i i love this scene for the same reasons you do but also on top of that what it provides context to for butcher's arc that we see, you know, like, which is obviously upcoming. So I'll, I'll leave it at that, I suppose. Sounds good. I appreciate it. Yeah, I kind of got the feeling that it is the predecessor to whatever is happening next, because we've seen a bit of Jules. We've seen Vincent's story. We were introduced to Butch. I think we're still going to get more of Jules later on. And I'd be surprised if we don't get more of Vincent later on. I'd be surprised if we don't get more of them. But I don't know if... You know, it kind of felt like that very first scene, the interrogation scene with Brett and the Burger Boys and all of that, that was Jules' kind of little bit of a story. Then we saw Vincent's story with Mia, and, you know, we've been introduced to Butch, but we still don't know anything about him. This was a good, like, hey, here's a bit of background that you need to know. So I'm excited to get into it. I haven't watched anything past this. This is where I stopped, so... I legitimately do not know what is happening next. Like I said, my predictions currently, what I still got going is 
I think the guy and the girl come back from the beginning, and they are somehow involved in a big fight at the end. I think Marcellus is going to die by the end, and probably the big fight. I'm assuming there's a big fight at the end. I will have to just watch and find out, I guess. And I think Butch isn't going to actually throw this fight, and that's going to get him into hot water with Marcellus. I think he's actually going to win this fight against Floyd Ray Wilson. And that's going to put him in some hot water with Marcellus because obviously he got paid to throw the fight in the fifth round. But I think the significance of having this dream during his nap reminds him that all of his, you know, his great grandfather, his grandfather, his father, they're all war veterans. And for Butch, going into the ring is his war. And so you can't just lean over and fall down. Like, you have to keep fighting. At least that's what I think is going to happen. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. I know you can't say a whole lot about this other than nod and smile. I like the way you're thinking about it. That's all I can say. (laughs) Yeah, I appreciate you not saying anything and keeping that trap door uh, closed. But, yeah, Jeremy, thank you so much for joining for this episode as well. It has been an absolute blast. Is there anything else that you want to... Just let the world know about the film real quick. Any little bits and bobs, something that we missed? Yeah, just, just quickly, like, uh, only because I love it so much. It's just going back to that dance scene. There, there are, like, you know how I was talking about how there's lots of references in this, this film. There's, there's two. Yeah. There's two, like, well, it's probably, at least two. There's probably more, but two that stick out to me from that scene. One is it's very, the, the style of dancing and the, the camera work is very reminiscent of a great film, which I recommend you do get to eventually um, by um, Fellini, which is Eight and a Half, which I know okay. Tarantino's a big fan of. And the other one that's a big reference to is a film called Band Apart, where they do a impromptu dance scene in this, cafe coffee shop in, in I think it's in Paris, somewhere in France. I think it might be Paris. And that's by um Jean Luc Goddard. And that's a good one only because Tarantino actually named his production company off that film. Band Apart was his production company at the time. Okay. So just a little little bit of trivia there. Yeah, a little bit of trivia. Yeah, I mean I don't look up anything about the films before I watch them except for the runtime to know roughly how long it is. Oh, look, and you, you don't want to either because otherwise, it, yeah, you, you risk spoiling it for you. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And I don't, I'm trying to avoid as many spoilers as possible. Obviously, I have the internet and I'm on social media. So, like, I do see some things here and there. So, like, so I know certain things, but doesn't mean that I know the entire plot of a film. So, yeah, very interesting. I didn't, yeah, I am intrigued to after i finish the film find out if there's some type of list somewhere that potentially has like you know hey here's a list of a bunch of different references that were being made i'm sure it exists with this film i'm sure of it but i'm excited to see that and just see you know i probably won't recognize a lot of the references but who knows like that can be another place where you know i can Link it in the description. This will be in a couple episodes for anyone listening because I'm not looking this up until I finish the film. But yeah, definitely. Jeremy, thank you so much for joining. If the listeners want to find your podcast or 
you know, find you on the internet doing stuff, how can they do that? Yeah, so in reference to the podcast, if you if you search for the Odyssey podcast and type in my name with it as well, Jeremy Mullally, you we're, we're on most podcasting channels, if you want to call that. So I know we're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, we're on Google Podcasts, and we're also on YouTube. And then beyond that, if you want to find me, um, yeah, if you look up Jeremy Mullally, you'll find a bit of info on me and, and my company as well, Ethical Media. So, yeah, and I just want to again say thanks for having me. I've really had a lot of fun. And I know, like, I, I hope I get a chance to come on again. This has been really enjoying it. Yeah, totally. I, it was an absolute pleasure having you on for the last two episodes. I had a lot of fun. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. And until next week, I'll catch y'all later. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Post Finale. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Ankit Madeira. I also run the social media. Our editor is Pranav Nair. The music is by Ankit Madeira and Megan Hutchison. And the art is by Jared Rother. If you would like to support the show and gain access to loads of bonus content, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash postfinale. Any of the money made from the Patreon will go back into the show to help pay for better microphone, equipment, and things like that. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at PostFinalePod. And if you want to help out the show in a non-monetary way, tell a friend about the show. Reach out and say, hey, you love movies, or I've been trying to get you to watch some more movies. Check out this new podcast. Talk about us on social media. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever app you are using to listen to the show. All of these little things help, and I appreciate everyone who has done this already and anyone that will do this in the future. Thank you so much. But I'm very thankful that you decided to listen to this episode and be sure to join us next week as we have a new guest and we continue our discussion of pulp fiction and figure out the story of the golden watch and until next time i'll catch y'all later